0: I am what it says, I am, I can do what it says, I can do, and I can be all that it says, I can be in Jesus' name. And the church said, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We only have one verse of scripture for us today for our beginning text. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 28. The word of the Lord says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men... He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Heavenly Father, we ask you to do two things at this time in our worship service. Anoint our ears to hear. And Lord God Almighty, anoint our hearts to receive what the Spirit of the living God desires to speak into our hearts and lives this day. And let us forever be changed to the glory of God. In Christ's name we ask. And the church said, Amen. Before you see seated, turn around, wave at somebody and say, Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord God today. Amen. Thank you so much. And you may be seated this morning. We are continuing our sermon series entitled, Beating the Odds. Kingdom principle of this sermon series that we have been sharing over the last few weeks. I know we took the last two Sundays off due to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But I'm not done with that series yet. I believe there are some... Very important things that the Lord God is wanting to share with all of us uh, still to come. Uh, Beating the odds, we have been talking about adversity that God actually uses. He not only allows the adversity, but He actually uses the adversity to excel us or propel us toward our destiny. You see, adversity and destiny, as we've said, go hand in hand. What that means is you cannot have one without the other. God uses giant trials to produce giant saints so he can put them in giant places. It is our trials that lead us to triumph in Christ. Again, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved and died for us. And one of many lessons that you and I can learn from little David is that if we are willing to show up for the fight, God will show up for us and take care of the rest. Church, that's all God is looking for today. All that the Lord is looking for is for somebody who has the faith to show up for the fight. If you will show up for God, God will show up for you and He will take care of the rest. Don't settle for conformity. Don't settle for conformity when God desires for us to have victory. You cannot have victory with conformity. Don't settle for defeat. Don't settle for anything less, as a matter of fact, than victory over the devil's oppression. No one paid much attention to little David when he was a little boy tending to his father's sheep. But what I want you to understand, church, is that the day that David stepped out from among the multitudes, had the audacity to step onto that battlefield, and face Goliath the giant. He would no longer be known as Little David. From that moment, from the moment he set foot on that battleground, David was well on his way to becoming King David. But all of that changed the moment he faced the giant. All of that changed the moment he dared to take on what no one else in the kingdom was willing to confront. Today we're going to change gears just a bit, however, and we're going to move from the crisis to, we're going to focus on the criticism that David faced. We've been focusing on the crisis that David had to deal with, crisis that changed him. Now we're going to talk about the criticisms that confronted him. And what I want to share this morning is about the reality of criticism. The reality of criticism that you are gonna face and I am gonna face the moment that we dare to step out of the crowd and make a stand for Jesus Christ. I know I've, we've read the text, but I'm gonna reread it again for the sake of emphasis just for a moment, one verse of scripture. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 28 once again says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, first of all, notice who it was. It was David's own brother. Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men that he burned with anger at him, and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. And I know how wicked your heart is, David. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now that was pretty vicious, wasn't it? That was pretty harsh criticism that David received. Now think about it. David was simply willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. David was willing to face Goliath. Eliab had plenty of opportunities to face the giant, but he did not step out of the crowd. Saul had plenty of opportunities to face the giant, but he even did not step out of the crowd. Nobody came forward to face the giant except Little David. And when little David had the audacity but to believe God for the impossible, guess what else he had to face? He not only had to face Goliath, he not only had to face the enemy, he not only had to face the Philistines, David had to face criticism from his very own people. His very, for that matter, his very own family. It was Albert Dunlop who made the statement. He said, the price of leadership is criticism. The price of leadership is criticism. And what I'm saying this morning is this, church, if we're gonna make a stand for Jesus Christ, Brace yourself, because adversity and criticism is going to come your way. Truth is, nobody pays much attention to the last place finishers. But when you're the one who's out front, when you're the one leading the crowd, when you're the one who is willing to step onto the battlefield and dare to challenge Goliath, that is when you're the one who's going to take the brunt of people's doubts, the brunt of, deep, of people's criticism. Everything at that point gets noticed about you. Look, nobody enjoys it, but it is raw criticism that goes with the territory of being a leader in Christ's kingdom. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Raw criticism goes with the territory of leadership. Leadership that gives me and that gives you the toughness and the tenacity to be out in front in the first place. I said nobody likes it. No one enjoys it. However, it is a prerequisite to being a leader and being used by the God of heaven. Listen, Jesus was perfect, and they crucified him. So if Jesus was perfect, and he met that kind of not only criticism, but persecution, even at the point that those who were closest to him betrayed him when all was said and done, who are we to think that anything less than that will happen to us? Well, what that should tell us today is this is that we have to count the cost, church, if we're gonna be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we gotta count the cost today to be a disciple of the living God. We gotta count the cost of following Jesus we got to count the cost of believing in biblical conviction and standing upon the truth of God's Word and standing upon what is right and not just what is left over. we got to stand for what we know is the truth today. And that is going to come with not only adversity, but that is going to come with much criticism the process of handling criticism. I want to speak to us this morning about how we deal with the criticism when it comes. Now, now we all love it when everybody is celebrating. Like last Sunday was a wonderful day. It was a, a phenomenal day in the Lord. We had a great time celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and as well we should. Praise God for our resurrected Savior. But how many got up Monday morning and realized that, hey, Jesus is alive and well, but my job site is still waiting on me to get there? The pressures, the realities, the stresses, the adversities, the the difficulties of life, that we all must dredge our way through day after day after day, still remain. But I want you to understand, the same Jesus that we celebrated as our resurrection king, who was alive last Sunday, is the same Jesus who will be alive tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, Jesus is alive, Jesus is all-powerful, Jesus is almighty, and he never changes. I've taken this from John Maxwell's wealth of leadership knowledge. He points out, and I I felt led to share this today as a part of this series. He calls this the four-step process when handling people's criticism as a leader. You're going to get criticized as a child of God. Young people, if you live for the Lord, you're going to face criticism at school. You're going to face things that's going to try to discourage you from having faith and standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's reality. I've been there myself. I know what that can be like. That can be tough. That can be difficult. But can I share with you today, church, that teenagers are not the only one that have to deal with peer pressure. We adults have to deal with it every day as well. You deal with it on your jobs. You deal with it in uh, uh, other aspects of your daily lives, you're faced with situations where you have to make a decision every day just about on whether you're going to serve the Lord or whether you're going to compromise your convictions. Listen, this morning we were talking in our walking through the word session. Conviction and convenience don't get along very well together. As a matter of fact, there's very few times where conviction is going to be convenient. Can somebody say amen? There's going to be very few times when standing for our biblical convictions in Christ that the Word of God teaches us is going to be convenient when it comes to living out there in this world that we are definitely living in. It was Aristotle that made this statement. He said, criticism is something you can avoid very easily. You can avoid it by saying nothing, by doing nothing, and by being nothing. But friend, the moment That we have a, we make up our heart, make it up in our hearts, and we have a made up mind that we're gonna do something for the Lord. You better brace yourself because, first of all, you're gonna need to know yourself. That's the first step. Know yourself. You see, it's our human nature to wanna make everybody happy. And I want you to understand, I am no exception to that today. I want to make, I enjoy. Making people happy. But reality is this, is that the quickest path to failure is trying to please everybody. Can somebody say amen? That is the quickest route to failure altogether, is trying to please everybody. Now, I'm all about a win-win scenario. If there's any way that I can find or God will allow me to find a win-win situation, we I believe that and we need to strive for that. However, we need to strive to be the best of our ability in our relationships with others to attain a scenario, to attain a situation where both parties win, especially especially when it comes to our marriages, especially when it comes to our families. If we look at the person criticizing us as our enemy, then we will launch into seek and destroy mode. How many times do we do that in our own personal marriages? we, We launch into seek and destroy mode when we receive criticism from our spouse. But when it comes to wickedness, when it comes to our biblical convictions, that's where we must draw a line in the sand. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, must be willing to make a stand for God and make a stand for God's holy word. That is where the line is drawn. And that is where God's people stand up and say, enough is enough. Enough. It took a few years to realize that if I was going to be a leader in God's kingdom, that if I was gonna be a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ, that there were going to be tough decisions that I was going to have to make that would upset some people from time to time. We as believers must ask ourselves today, do I wanna make people happy? Come on now. Do I wanna make people happy? Or do I want to make God happy? See, reality is, my father-in-law, Pastor Price, used to put it like this. He said, when you please God, you're going to please the right people. And when you please God, you're going to displease the right people. Can somebody say amen? That's good preaching, isn't it? But look, in order for for us to be able to do that successfully and consistently in serving the Lord and following His leadership, we must know who we are in Jesus Christ. You need to to have a Christ-centered identity today. And knowing in whom you have believed, knowing that the God that you serve is a God who is true to His Word, knowing that the God that you have chosen to follow and you have dedicated your whole heart and you have dedicated your whole life to today is a God who will see you through to the end. He will not abandon you when the enemy comes in like a flood. He will not turn his back on you when everyone else has turned their backs on you. The Bible says he is a brother. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, even when your family turns on you, Jesus will never turn on you. Jesus is faithful. Somebody give him praise in the house today. Over the years, people will try to help you know yourself better. And they usually begin with the phrase, Now, I'm going to tell you something for your own good. (laughs) How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many have ever heard that one before? Now, I'm going to tell you something, but look, you're not going to like to hear it, but this is for your own good. Have you ever noticed that when somebody tells you something for your own good, they never have anything good to tell you? (laughs) it's these very sensitive conversations, however, that actually help us learn a lot more about ourselves, including many of our weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, the Apostle Paul writes to us. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, so if you think you are standing, be careful, lest you Fall. If you think you are standing, be careful lest you fall. In other words, Paul was saying to us, don't get cocky in the faith. Don't get cocky because it's when you think you've got it all figured out. Oh, isn't it true that every time we think we have God figured out, he kicks the walls out of that box that we're always trying to place him in? He kicks the walls out of that confining box that we always want to put God and fit the God of heaven into. And and just when we think we've got God figured out, God calls us to do something else that we never dreamed He would ever call us to do. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Knowing who we are in Christ means not thinking so highly of ourselves, not being so conceited within ourselves that we believe we are beyond giving in to temptation, and believing that we are not beyond failing God. On the old show, hee haw, the patient said to the doctor, He said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. The doctor looked at him and he said, well, you need to stay out of them places. (laughs) You see, here's what I'm trying to share with us today. Every knockout punch is vulnerable to the counterpunch. Every spiritual gift has a comparable vulnerability that coincides with that spiritual gift. Every strength has a reciprocal weakness and there that is intentional god didn't make a mistake when he did that that was intentional because god wanted us to understand that he never meant for us to do this alone he never meant for us to do this by ourselves you see we need one another We we must learn to lean, and we need to be able to lean on one another. Most often what we need to hear the most is actually what we want to hear the least. But let the God who molded us, let the God who molded you, And me into his own image. Be the one to define who you are in his word today. And not anyone else. In other words, don't let anybody else tell you who you are. Because the God of heaven has already defined who you are in Christ. You are made in the image of almighty God. Somebody give God praise in the house this morning. He has made us in his likeness. He has formed us in his very image. Don't let the devil define you because, friend, God, our Creator, has already formed us in his very image today. But let the God who molded us in his own image be the one to define who we are in his word and not anybody else. So we need to know, you have to know yourself in order to handle criticism. Secondly, we need to change ourselves. Now I know we are limited in our ability to change ourselves, but look, there are some things that we can do to change ourselves. There are some habits that we can stop practicing that will help change us, ourselves that is. The Bible teaches us that God does not change do you know why God doesn't change? Because God doesn't have to change. The reason why God doesn't change, because God is already perfect. And brother, when you're perfect, you don't have to change. You don't have to worry about improvement, but how many know your pastor is not perfect, not even close. You're not perfect, not even close. God is perfect, but we are not And because we are not perfect, guess what? God is still working on us. Oh, I know sometimes y'all probably look at me and say, Lord, bless him, Jesus. You know, when I was a kid growing up and I first started out preaching at the age of, what, 18, 19 years old, I'd get up and I'd preach, and and I (laughs) I knew I was bombing out when the devout sisters in the back would start praying, Lord, bless him, Jesus. Blessing Jesus, blessing Jesus. And as I'd go on, they'd get a little louder. Blessing Jesus. And I knew what they were saying was Lord, He needs your help. You got to do something. But the point is, God is still working on us, isn't He? God is still working on me. God is still working on you. But thanks be to God Almighty that He hasn't given up on us. Aren't you happy today that God doesn't give up on his children? The reason God does not change, however, is because God is perfect. And God doesn't need to change. But you and I do need to change. In the process of handling criticism effectively, you not only need to know yourself, but you have to be willing to acknowledge Your need for change. It was Aldous Huxley who made this statement. The truth that makes you, the truth that makes you free is for the most part the truth we would prefer not to hear. Don't raise your hand, but how many know that's the truth this morning? I love how John Maxwell puts it. He says, You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you mad. (laughs) And we understand the difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. At least I think we do. Destructive criticism is one of the four horsemen, by the way, of the apocalypse when it comes to marriage and family. Destructive criticism is when we talk down to the people we love. Do you know that it is when we talk down to the people we love that the people we love put up walls of defense? And when they put up walls of defense, you know what happens to productive communication? Totally goes away. It ceases to exist. And I don't mean several minutes later. I mean immediately at the snap of a finger. When we start communicating with one another in a destructive, demeaning, disrespectful manner, our loved ones put up walls of protection. They have to. You haven't left them a choice or I haven't left them a choice. They put up walls of defense and immediately progress in that relationship comes to a screeching halt. While we have the right to criticize one another constructively, we do have the right to do that. We do not have the right to demean one another. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We do not have the right to disrespect one another. Can somebody say amen? amen? We do not have the right to degrade one another. Disagree? Yes. Disrespect, no. You tell a child that he or she is stupid, you tell a child that he or she will never amount to anything, you tell a child that they will never make it in life and they're never gonna amount to something sooner or later, friend, that child is gonna start believing it. And that child is gonna start acting out what they have been told all their lives questions that we should ask ourselves when we receive criticism. Number one is this, who criticized me? Who was the one who gave me that criticism? In other words, you've heard the saying, consider the source. We should always do that. We should always consider the source. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This is actually a biblical principle. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 5. The word of God says, It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. In other words, it is better to receive criticism from a wise person than to listen to the praise of a fool. That's what the Bible is saying. Proverbs three eleven and 12, the Bible says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he Delight Let me give you another one, Proverbs 9 and 9. The Bible says, instruct the wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. What's the Bible trying to teach us this morning? The Bible is teaching us the attitude that we should have toward the truth that God is still working on us. God is still molding us into His image. We're saved. We've been born again, not by anything that we could do for ourselves, but only by the work of Calvary that Jesus did for us on the cross. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is working on the inside to bring out the image of Christ in us and through us on the outside that the whole world will do what? God wants to get me to the place that the world no longer sees Todd Rigney. God wants to get you to the place that the world no longer sees Harold or Dan or Sally or... Elizabeth, or whoever your name may happen to be today. God wants to bring you and me to the place, church, that when the world looks at us, they will see a reflection of who the King of glory truly is, who is Jesus Christ. Somebody give God praise in this place today. So let us not despise the Lord's discipline Guess what? Yes, the Lord disciplines us. The Lord disciplines me. When he does, let us not despise the discipline, but let us rejoice because the God of heaven cares enough about us to take time to correct us when we are wrong. Proverbs 9 and 9 says, instruct the wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will lead to his learning. The next question we must ask ourselves is this. How was the criticism given? Very important. Criticism comes in typically, again, one of two ways. Either constructive criticism or destructive criticism. How to know a person's intent? First is this. Was the criticism done in private or was it done in public? Very important question to ask. If the, Now, understand there is a time and place for open rebuke. Don't get me wrong. That is biblical. There is a place for that. There is a time for that. But typically speaking, under normal situations... Is the criticism done in private or is it done in public? Here's the rule of thumb. When somebody embarrasses you in front of other people and they openly criticize you in front of others, most of the time you can pretty much rest assured that they didn't mean it for your good, they probably meant it for your destruction. Now, please remember, please remember, there are exceptions to that rule that I don't have time to get into this morning. But for the most part, when someone truly loves you and when somebody is truly concerned about your benefit and they are truly concerned about your well-being, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to wait for you to get in a crowd of your peers or maybe your group of people that you may even be responsible for and do what? Try to ambush you in front of the multitudes. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? They're going to come to you what? In private. They're going to come to you when nobody else is around. And when they come to you, they're going to come to you and they're going to sit down with you and they're going to say, look, I've noticed something here lately that, that, that's concerning me. Oh, they'll, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but they're going to make it known because they're a friend. They're not out for your destruction. They're out for your health and well-being. Secondly was the criticism given to protect you Or was the criticism given to put you down? Was the criticism given to help? Or was the criticism given only to harm? Were the words spoken judgmentally, condescendingly? Or did they give you the benefit of the doubt? In other words, what was the spirit in which the criticism was given? Now I know some of you are looking at me right now and you're saying, wait a minute, what happened to David and Goliath? No, we're still on the story of David and Goliath, but most of the time we overlook that part of the story where David's own brother Eliab gave him harsh criticism for being willing to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Criticism comes with the territory of serving God. That's why the Bible teaches us, church, we have got to count the cost if we're going to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, it is much more about how you say something than it is about what you say. It's much more about how you approach something than it is about how you are, what you say, what words necessarily that you mean. Next, why was the criticism given? And I'm bringing this in for a close, so hang on, a couple more minutes. Why was the criticism given? Was it given to inflict a personal hurt, or was it given for your benefit? Growing or groaning? See, this is where you and I have to ask ourselves the question, what is our response to such criticism? What is our response when someone actually comes at us in a confrontational way about something that they have disagreement with? Well, we can do one of two things. We can grow from it or we can groan from it. It's kind of like the same way where we say it, can, it will either make you better, or it will make you better. You see, reality is even the harshest of criticism will have something beneficial for you and me to be able to use and apply to our own lives. I didn't say it was right. I didn't say it was fair. I didn't say it was even of God. But what I will say is even in the harshest of criticism, we can find something that is beneficial that will help us to grow in our faith as a believer. So it's important to learn how to handle even harsh criticism constructively. Even the harshest criticism can be constructive if it is applied to our lives correctly. I want you to notice what David did when his brother criticized them for being willing to step out on the battlefield and face Goliath. Do you know what David did? The Bible says that David heard what he had to say. Then David did what? He turned around and he went to somebody else. In other words, David didn't allow the criticism from his brother to keep him from doing what he knew the God of heaven had called him out to do. Can somebody say amen? Listen, The devil is going to give you harsh criticism. He's going to send sometimes the people that we love the most to give us that criticism. But let me tell you something. You need to know who you are in Jesus Christ today. You need to know what you've been called to do. And you need to set your eyes on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and do what He's called you to do no matter what the enemy has to say about it. Somebody give God praise in this house this morning. Will you please stand with me today as we bring this service to a close. I know this has been a little different. I know we've been in somewhat of a different gear today, but I felt led of the Lord to share this in this sermon series, Beating the Odds. Listen, if you're going to beat the odds, you're going to have to learn how to deal with the criticism. You're going to have to deal, you're going to have to learn how to deal with people who are going to try to discourage you from doing what God, the Lord God, has called you to do. How many know that there's always somebody out there who thinks they are a little bit smarter than God is? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's me. Sometimes I think I know a little bit better than God knows for my life. Sometimes I think I I know a little bit better than God knows for me. We all do from time to time, but I want you to understand something. God, number one, He's merciful. And make no mistake about it, God still knows what's best for us all. Will you pray with your pastor today, dear Heavenly Father? God Almighty, we come before you this morning thanking you for your goodness and mercy. And Heavenly Father, when it comes to to receiving criticism, when it comes to giving criticism, it's important, God, help us to understand that even in the harshness of criticism, there is an element of that criticism that there's going to be some truth to it. Somehow, some way. Help us, oh God, to be objective enough to take inventory of ourselves. And God, I believe this is one of those times that you, Holy Spirit, are calling us. You're calling us as a church. You're calling us as a people to take inventory today. And you're calling us to ask you to search our hearts. Will you do that with me, church, right now, in the name of Jesus? Just right where you're standing, will you just pray? You can even pray to yourself. I mean, pray silently to yourself if you'd like to. But pray. Take a moment and pray, Lord God, search me today. Lord Jesus, know me today. Lord God, reveal to me this morning anything that you know that I need to acknowledge in Christ And that I need to get under the blood of Jesus Christ before I leave this church this morning. Lord God, you see the trespass that I have committed against my brother or my sister. You see the the wrongful words that I have spoken, God, that has hurt them, that has hurt our relationship. Lord God, I ask you, God, to forgive me And God, give me the wisdom and give me the discernment today that I need to have to take the steps that I need to take in order to mend that harmed relationship this morning. Anoint me, God, to speak words of life and not words of death. Words of reconciliation and not words of division. Words of hope and not words of harm words of love and life and not words of hate and death. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you forgive us, have mercy on us, cleanse us, wash us, sanctify us, almighty God, make us white as snow that we may be found in your holy presence without spot or blemish, that we may stand in your glorious presence and you look at us and smile and be pleased in Jesus' name. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word today. Your word is life, your word is truth. Let it serve as a lamp unto our feet this morning as we leave this place and as a light into our path. And Lord God Almighty, finally let all that we do and all that we are bring glory in honor to you before we leave this morning i'm not going to ask us to hold hands because we can't do that because of covid Will you will you pray with your pastor in closing prayer will you pray for our families your family your marriage today before we leave can you pray that prayer right now in the name of jesus god touch my family god touch my spouse god touch my children Touch my brother or my sister. Touch my mother or my father. Touch my family today, God. I pray a hedge around our home. I pray a hedge around our loved ones, God, that that sometimes, that even in the most intense times of battle, in the most intense times of spiritual warfare, that sometimes we say things to one another, Lord God, We say things to one another that we really didn't mean to say. We didn't want to say. But Lord God Almighty, forgive us. And God, mend the broken bridges. God, mend what the enemy has tried to tear apart. And Lord God, I pray that you will make it stronger. Put it back together again, God. Put it back together again and make it stronger and more endurable than it has ever been before today. Do it only you can do, Almighty God. Satan is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We give you glory today, God. We give you honor today. We give you the praise that you so rightfully deserve. Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. Oh, somebody say, praise the name of Jesus somebody say blessed be the name of the Lord forever oh somebody give God praise in this house this morning before we leave here today For I say to you that I have spoken to you today, my children, hear me. Be mindful of your words, for they are all-powerful. Use them to love one another. Use them to build one another up. Use them for life and not death. For I am the Lord your God, and I have anointed you with a great anointing to speak truth and not lies health and not harm love and not hate the world needs my love today show them my love in your words show them my love in your actions that the whole world will see me in you and know there is a god in heaven says the lord god almighty can we give god praise for his glory today hallelujah Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Pray, oh, somebody give God praise. I feel the Lord in this place this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You see what the devil meant for your destruction, God is turning it around. For your health and wholeness in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you this morning. Thank you for being with us today. We love you so very, very much. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. And know that God has something better for all of us in the near future. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you, everybody. You are dismissed.